Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here to study the Bible today because that's all we'll do for the next 30 minutes is answer your questions about the Bible. If there's something you've always wondered about the Bible or something in your life, you wonder what the Bible has to say about it, there's a phone number and a website there at the bottom of the screen. Use them anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what you want us to talk about and you'll direct the program. Uh, we'll try to answer any questions we get. So that's what we do here. And uh, my partner, Toby Leverings here. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to answer as many as we can today. But uh, viewers get the first question each week. So here's yours today. Who prophesied about the Valley of Dry Bones, a famous Old Testament prophecy, and the name of the prophet? We'll give you that answer in just a little bit at the end of the program. All right, looks like uh, Toby got question number one, yes. so you get to start us off. Question about forgiveness, and the question is, is there a limit to how many times we can be forgiven for something that we, do, that we know not to do, but do it anyway? And my answer to that is no, there's not a, a limit with God, uh, and, and I'll qualify that here in a minute, um, but to be forgiven requires God's mercy. And uh, there's a verse in Lamentation that says, God's mercies are new every morning. I like that. It just reminds us that God continually pours out mercy. Of course, through Jesus, he lavishes us with grace. And so, uh, no, there is not a, a limit. A person can be forgiven. Uh, he told, uh, Jesus told his disciples uh, that if, uh, if someone uh, does wrong and asks for your forgiveness, you should forgive them 70 times 7 or 77 times, depending on the translation. Well, the point is there not to go and meticulously count 77 or 490. The point is uh, to forgive as God forgives us, which is a point where we just stop keeping track, okay? Uh, we are all dependent on that kind of unending mercy and unlimited grace. Now, I understand the concern. Well, what then is the motivation to do right? Uh, do we just sin uh, so that God's grace may increase? Well, Paul actually answered that. He said, God forbid that would ever happen. So it's the heart that you do it. Think maybe an example uh, with your children. Um, maybe your children you have a child that struggles with lying. I mean, really struggles with white lies and big lies and just lying all the time. Um, and, and you work through that and you, you correct and you train and you rebuke and you exhort and you admonish. And, and the child continually says, Daddy, I'm sorry. Mommy, I'm sorry. Well, would you, would you say, nope, nope, you've, done, you've passed the limit. I can't forgive you anymore. Well, of course not. 
Okay, we understand that because we, we love our children. Well, God loves you more than you can ever fathom, okay? And He wants to forgive you. If you're sincere and if you're penitent in your heart, uh, yes, God will forgive you, and I don't think there's a limit to that. So um, the, the Apostle John gives this instruction in his letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 9. Let's look at it together. Um, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say to ourselves, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, for, for, uh, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, no, there is not a limit. And John says we, we've got to be honest. We've got to be honest about our sin. We've got to confess it. We've got to ask for the Lord's forgiveness. But if we do that sincerely and with a penitent heart, we do our best, we move forward, uh, fall down seven times, rise up eight. And through the hope of Jesus, we can do that. So hope that helps you. All right. Do angels protect us from harm? Do angels protect us from harm? And I'm going to go with this answer. Sometimes. Uh, yes, I believe angels do sometimes protect us. Uh, I know personally that uh, I've escaped a few things that uh, I didn't don't can't explain it in any other way than an angel was watching out for me. So I do believe that happens. But the concept of angels protecting us all the time, or sometimes we get this question asked about guardian angels. Uh, there's two verses that lead us to believe that, or cause people to think so. Let's look at those. Matthew 18.10, Jesus said about little children, see that you don't despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. So he implies that little ones, probably children, but some people think he might have been talking about uh, just people, uh, that they have an angel that's watching the Father all the time and watching them, their angel. Uh, the other verse is uh, Psalm 34, 7 we want to look at. And it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. All right, so if we look at those two verses, and there's a few other verses that talk about such things, uh, it's possible to conclude that, okay, yes, angels protect us. Uh, we may even have a specific guardian angel. Now, my problem with that is it really doesn't say that everybody or even every child has an angel that's with them. It says the angels are beholding the face of the Father. And if we look through the Bible at how God operates, he sent his angels to do things at certain times. When a specific need arose, he would send an angel. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrians one time. He sent that angel to do that. So in a, rather than the concept of having an angel that's on duty all the time, uh, following me around and watching out for me, uh, I think it's more like sometimes God sees something, uh, a need of something happening, uh, we'll send an angel, and they can get here pretty quick, I think. Uh, <laughs> he'll send an angel uh, to take care of that. But 
protecting us from harm all the time on duty. The other problem with that is if there's really a guardian angel following me around, uh, guarding me, why does anything bad ever happen to me? Well, see, that's a problem. So, yes, I think God sometimes sends angels to protect us in specific situations, uh, but I don't think I believe that angels protect us from all harm at all times. Uh, my opinion, there's really no Bible that tells us exactly how that works, but I think that's a pretty good guess, probably. Okay, a question about the Holy Spirit and sin. If you fall short and sin, does that mean you don't have the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that is no. Um, it, I mean, it would be sort of a pointless endeavor if uh, the Holy Spirit left you as immediately as soon as you sin. Uh, once we're in Christ, once we're baptized and, and we're immersed uh, for the forgiveness of sins, uh, the blood of Jesus atones for our sin. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's unusual to me to even picture, oh, oh, now you've sinned and now the Holy Spirit leaves. <laughs> I mean, that's just not the way it works. The Holy Spirit, I mean, the, the two wonderful gifts that we receive when we're baptized, according to Peter, is the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of our sins. And those two gifts are a promise to us. Now, the forgiveness of sins, we understand, Holy Spirit, He is there as our helper. He is there to, to help us. Uh, the scriptures later say it's a down payment, as a, a deposit on what the promises that are to come. He is there to help us and to guide us. And uh, there's a scripture in Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at that one on the screen. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We understand that. Verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So our forgiveness comes by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We understand that. The, the beautiful part about that is that the Holy Spirit is not there just watching over your shoulder. There to, you know, He is there to help you. Now He may say, "Hey, that's sin. You got to be careful of that." But but look at this from Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-six. This is what Paul writes. Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-six will not be on the screen, but I want you to look it up at home. It says, "Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness." Isn't that beautiful? For we know that what to pray for as we ought, do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Uh, God helps us beyond our ability to understand how much help we need. And I just, I love that so much. So, no, that, that's not the case. When you sin, when you're in Christ, you simply need to repent. You need, simply need to ask for forgiveness. Uh, and the Spirit remains with you to help you. Now, if you turn away from Jesus, if you renounce G your faith in Christ, you stop being obedient to Him, that's a different matter. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the sin and stumblings that we have. Uh, the Holy Spirit's there to help us as we go along. So, I hope that helps you. All right, uh, talk about how to study the Bible. Uh, some folks want to study the Bible, so they sit down uh, sometimes on January 1st and pick up a Bible and read Genesis chapter 1 and decide they're going to read all the way through it. And usually around Leviticus is where it gets a little <laughs> tough and uh, the, the Bible reading gets put on hold. Uh, 
that's one way to study the Bible. That's a good way to study the Bible, but uh, there are other ways, and we like to help folks find a way that's good for them to study the Bible. So we've got some tools that have proven over the years to be very, very helpful to folks. Here's a course that we'll send you if you want for absolutely free of charge. Uh, there's eight lessons in it, and it's just a good overview of the Bible. helps you study regularly. Then there are some more advanced courses that uh, you can keep on going for a long time with Know Your Bible Study tools and learn about the life of Jesus and the book of Acts and the history of the Bible and all kinds of interesting things. So those are our tools that we'll send you. And we've also got an excellent course online if you'd rather study online instead of using the mail system. Uh, we've got that for you, oneway.worldbibleschool.org. Log on there and sign up and we'll get you started with an online Bible course. All of those are great ways. Use the phone number, website that's on the screen. Uh, tell us what you'd, tell us you'd like that free course and we'll get it started for you almost immediately. Uh, it'll help you know your Bible. All right, got a question that uh, we're going to spend a little time on. Uh, I probably should have divided it into two questions because it's a couple of points in here. Uh, the viewer says, I don't believe in baptism as taught on your show. Uh, sprinkling will receive God's blessings. Why do so many churches believe as I do? All right, so three different statements in there. Let's work through them. Uh, first of all, it says, I don't believe in baptism as taught on your show. For those of you that are new viewers, let me kind of summarize that. On this show, we teach that the baptism is when you're saved. It's when you're forgiven. It's not what saves you, but it's necessary to obey Jesus and it gets you forgiveness of sins at that point. Uh, it is for adult believers. It's not for uh, infants and uh, young children that don't understand, can't repent, can't confess, can't do any of that. So it's adult believer baptism. And the mode that we teach on this program is baptize means immerse. Uh, immersion, full immersion of the body. So that's what we teach on this program because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. And this viewer says, I don't believe that. In particular, they take issue with the immersion. And our viewer says, sprinkling will receive God's blessings. And a lot of churches agree with me. All right. So the viewer doesn't believe what we teach. Uh, says sprinkling will get God's blessings. And a lot of churches agree with him. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the standard on this program. Uh, all of that may be very true, but our standard is the Bible. So what we do is look at the Bible and see what it says. Does it say something about sprinkling or immersion? Uh, to understand that, we've got to have a little history. Uh, for a thousand years, every Christian who became a Christian was fully immersed underwater. Nobody ever considered anything else. That's what the word meant. The Greek word baptizo meant to dip, plunge, immerse. That's all history, folks. Uh, after about a thousand years, uh, somebody came up with the idea for somebody that was very sick that couldn't be immersed. They said, well, let's just sprinkle some water on them and we'll call that good. They called that clinical baptism, and a few people agreed, okay, that'll probably work. Uh, took hundreds of years after that, up to 1311, before that finally was officially accepted by the Roman church. Uh, but bear in mind, this 
item that doesn't seem important to us sometimes uh, caused a split in the church, the biggest split ever, the east-west split between Roman Catholicism and Greek Orthodoxy. Uh, Part of the reason for the split was over the battle over whether immersion or sprinkling uh, was the right mode of baptism. Uh, The Orthodox Church still immerses. Uh, Baptists still immerse. The Church of Christ and Christian Church still immerse. So if we're counting votes, (laughs) there's a whole lot of churches that still believe that immersion is what the word means and that's what we should do. All right. Now, uh, that's the history. Our viewer says sprinkling will receive God's blessings. You may be right in that. Uh, Maybe God will bless sprinkling just as well as immersion. But there's no Bible basis for believing that. Uh, The name of this program is Know Your Bible, uh, not Guess What God Might Do. Uh, So all we can do is teach what the Bible says, and that's where we read you some verses and Just use a little common sense and look at these verses and what the Bible says, bearing in mind that the word means immerse. Let's look at some verses. John 3.23, John was baptizing in Anon because there was much water there. Acts 8.38, they went down both into the water, uh, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Acts 8.39, they came up out of the water. Romans 6.4, when Paul's explaining baptism to people, he says we are buried with him by baptism. Uh, the technique of the real translation of that, we are buried with him by immersion. Uh, and that's the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So uh, this program's Know Your Bible. We just quote the Bible and show you what it says. Uh, We believe immersion is the correct mode, and that's what we teach on this program. And I hope that helps you understand why we teach what we do and uh, consider what you believe. All right, Toby. A question about other churches, uh, which is a little bit challenging. Why do some churches call themselves apostolic? There are no more apostles. First of all, it is not our goal on this program to address what other churches do. that's up to those other churches. We really try to focus strictly on what does the Bible say. I did a little research, and it, uh, according to uh, the research that I did, uh, the name apostolic was was given because it was uh, basically the doctrine and the teaching of the twelve of the apostles, uh, of whose teachings are paramount. Is the uh, uh, explanation that I found for the name Apostolic Church. And uh, to some degree, I understand that. The teachings of the New Testament, what we teach on this program, um, uh, New Testament Christianity, is based on the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. And so that's what we look at in the New Testament. Now, um, the name Apostolic, based on uh, uh, those apostles, uh, there was originally 12. Of course, Judas hanged himself, and then Matthias took his place uh, there in, on the day of, uh, at the day of Pentecost. And then uh, Paul later added uh, to the, uh, as an apostle uniquely sent and called. So uh, those were the apostles, and uh, they had a specific mission. The word apostle simply means one sent, and they were sent by Jesus. And when, when we uh, 
kind of think, well, and I've seen this, I've driven down the road and, and seen, uh, you know, the, this church and it says apostle so-and-so. You know, these people call themselves apostles. Well, that I don't agree with. Um, an apostle, uh, there, you had to be a certain, there was a couple of qualifications to put it this way. Um, uh, when they were replacing Judas in Acts chapter uh, uh, 1, the qualifications were uh, that, well, let's just look at it. Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Therefore, it is necessary, this is replacing Judas, uh, to choose one of the men who have been with us from the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. So that was the first qualification. Somebody who had been with us, beginning from John's baptism from the time uh, when Jesus was taken up. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So a witness to the resurrected Christ and one who is with them. And so that's who they were looking for when they went to uh, fulfill the role of an apostle as one who would be sent out to continue to establish uh, the church and, and spread it out all over the world. So uh, apostles, you're exactly right. And under the original definition, no, apostles don't exist today. Uh, there was the original 12 uh, plus the uh, Matthias and Paul. So that was who the apostles were. Um, but we do base what we believe on the teachings of Jesus and the apostles as we find in the New Testament. So can't can't fully explain apostolic church and what all they believe don't intend to. Uh, but we do want to follow the teachings of the New Testament. And uh, Acts chapter 1 explains who an apostle was and uh, what they did. So hope that helps you. Got a, got a quick one here. What happened to Mary's husband, Joseph? And the answer is, I have no idea because the Bible doesn't say. The last mention of Joseph is in the story of Jesus when Jesus was 12 years old, uh, went to the temple and lost him, and Joseph is mentioned. After that, not a word about him. Most people assume Joseph died. Uh, he was older than Mary. We assume he died for, of some reason uh, before Jesus started his ministry. Some people think, well, it had to be quite a bit earlier than that because that's why Jesus stayed at home till he was 30 uh, to run the carpenter shop and take care of Mary. Uh, but Joseph's not mentioned at the wedding in Cana where Jesus had his first miracle in his ministry. He's not mentioned at being at the crucifixion. Mary was there alone and Jesus turned her over to uh, the care of John. So Joseph was obviously gone by then. Uh, we assume he died. We don't know what from or when. So that's the answer. We don't know what happened to Joseph. We invite you to visit a church of Christ near you, the Churches of Christ, to cross the viewing area. Support this program, and we appreciate them. And like to mention a few of them each week. Uh, up around the Quad Cities, there's a number of folks that support us and uh, are partners with us in Know Your Bible, Sterling, Illinois, Moline, Illinois, Muscatine, Iowa. If you live up in those that area, uh, there's some great folks at each of those congregations uh, who think and study a lot like we do on Know Your Bible, and they would warmly welcome you if you dropped in for a visit. If you're searching for a church home, you could do very well at any of those congregations. They'd uh, uh, help you know your Bible better. So we like to thank them, and uh, whatever viewing area you're in, there's a Church of Christ near you. Uh, drop in and tell them, hey, I saw you on Know Your Bible and appreciate that program. So uh, we thank them, too. All right, Mr. Toby. Yeah. 
question about, <coughs> uh, the question is, in Second John, how does staying away from unbelievers and sinners help? And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm very confused on the question. Second John is a short little book. It's very, not very long at all, just a few scriptures, uh, not, not even more than a chapter. So there's really nothing that I could see other than a reference to the Antichrist, uh, which is interesting. The Antichrist, we always think of this one person. Uh, John's very clear there are many Antichrists. Uh, there were then, there are today. It's just simply anyone who teaches that Jesus was not the Christ. Um, and certainly you would want to avoid such a person and, uh, watch out if that type of person is in your church and and teaching false doctrine we would do well to avoid them clearly uh so i don't know if that's specifically what you're asking i'll I'll broaden it just a little bit in terms of how to you know staying away from unbelievers and sinners uh is not you can't really do that we live in the world right we we are in a, a broken and sinful world and we're surrounded by sinful and unbelieving people Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can it be made, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but put it on a stand that it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Uh, Jesus seems to say, you know, our role when we follow him is to be the salt in a bland world, uh, to be the salt that preserves the truth, that flavors the world, uh, that seasons everything with grace, uh, and to be the light in darkness, as, you know, to be the hope givers, the people who, who are the good finders. Uh, that's the kind of people Christians are to be, and that's how we make an influence and an impact on unbelieving people. Uh, that's uh, where we give an op- get an opportunity uh, to make an influence and make a difference, which is certainly what Christians should do. Now, we have to be careful in our relationships, and this is the verse that we will look at, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Paul warns, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts or ruins good morals. So if you're in relationships with unbelieving people, friendships or otherwise, uh, people who don't fear the Lord or love Him, uh, the more likelihood is they're going to pull you down given enough time. So we have to be intentional. We have to focus on the Lord. We have to let our light shine and also use wisdom and discernment so that they don't corrupt our morals. I hope that helps you. Doesn't really find that in Second John, but uh, that's the answer. All right, if you ever want to know where angels want people. Uh, so when people die, do they become angels is the viewer's question. Uh, no, uh, angels are created beings uh, different than humans. Now, they're a spiritual being. Uh, they can take human form sometimes, but they're spiritual beings. Humans are created with a body, and we will be spiritual beings someday with a resurrected body, but we're still going to be different. Uh, we're going to worship with the angels, but we're not going to be angels. There's no biblical basis for thinking that people become angels when they die. Now, I know we talk like that. Sometimes we'll tell a little child that uh, grandma died and she's an angel now. Uh, uh, And I understand that, and that's a perfectly fine thing to tell somebody that uh, doesn't understand heaven and all of that. But uh, I don't think there's any biblical basis that humans die and become angels. And certainly uh, angels were not once people. They were created 
as angels. So no basis to that idea. Here's a trivia question. Who prophesied about the valley of dry bones? That was good old Ezekiel. I made a good song out of that too, by the way. We're glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.